Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to the extraest, most specialist edition of Thrush and Treasure, the torture chamber musical comedy podcast that will give a band geek a wedgie and always right up the tuba. Speaking of always right, I'm Aaron. And I'm joined unusually by a guest from the future. Time and space has folded in on itself and swallowed Gareth up whole. So instead, this man is donning the grey beard, bright orange hair. He's my guest co-host with the mo-host. <laughs> it's Broadway's F. Michael Haney. Welcome back to the show that you haven't actually yet appeared on. Um, I am very honoured to be here from the future, like you said. Um, yes, definitely Marty McFly. I'm a year older. <laughs> and you're a year older. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I know, right? Like, I'm tripping out right now. Uh, but thank you so much for stepping in for Gareth today, because obviously... Uh, artists out there there is a thing in this world apparently called day jobs heard of it and gareth has one and unfortunately it has uh taken up his time although i do prefer my version that time and space uh continuum then ripped him apart and swallowed him up whole in a um a freak event so he will be back next week when um what episode will that be oh we're actually going to have the man who inspired me to get into theatre. So I'll tell you what, he better be back for that one. Yeah, gotta be. But yes, so welcome, F. Uh, you haven't been introduced to our audience yet. Okay. Uh, and in your episode, we'll explain then that you aren't really into musical theatre in, uh, in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the safest way is to say that, like, if, if there was a genre known as musical theatre what most people would think of is not what I'm into. I love theater. I love acting. I love storytelling and all these things, but I think mm -hmm. for the most part, and it's one of the things that I will, I haven't heard the edit, but I, I keep praising the show that you and Gareth have put together because one of the things being an outsider into musical theater when I first started was the idea that Broadway with like a big B was this old white, terrible thing that like just was of no interest to me. And then suddenly, as I discovered more complexity, hilariously, even watching a, a DVD recording of one of the guests uh, who's gonna be on the show right now, um, that th seeing those kinds of things really tripped me out. Cause I was like, oh, this doesn't seem like musical theater, like capital M, capital T. So I think I love musical theater, but I think that mm -hmm. the idea of what the, the Broadway sound, that old like, oh, here we sing a song about the world. <laughs> like that kind of thing is like, just it was just never for for me, even though I love classical music. Yeah. So it, it's not that kind of thing. Um, but I think yeah. in the same way, I didn't, when I was a kid, respect black and white movies. Cause I was like, ah, it's black mm -hmm. and white. That's old stuff. That's what old people like. And now I go, well, some of them are still, you know, full of bigots and racists and it's horrible, but some of them are, are actually like really quality film. Um, so, yeah. you know, respecting, respecting the path of where things have come and the fact that I've been able to mm -hmm. do three different shows on Broadway of varying like content, um, and some yeah. of the other stuff I've been involved in. I just, I think the idea of what Broadway sounds like being a varied, very different thing from what people who don't know what Broadway sounds like is, yeah. is really important. And that's why I think that people from Broadway getting to experience things like metal and i say that in big air quotes mm -hmm. that you can't see because it's a podcast but uh yeah. 
the idea oh, they're of, pretty big they're, they're big big air quotes but yeah. i think i think the idea of metal <laughs> is the same thing that people imagine an idea <laughs> of metal and they're put off by that idea as opposed to actually yeah. liking or disliking something for the content which i think we'll get into maybe potentially later with uh the album we're doing today yes because holy guacamole guess what what we have another legendary diva in the studio today and boy am i so excited i could we our next guest made her broadway debut as a swinging housewife in i love my wife oh that's my kind of lady <laughs> before winning the tony award for best actress in a musical no that's my kind of lady and during her expansive six decade career she's been a good egg a joe egg a bad egg and entered the woods with no egg pause for cancellation Born to Hollywood royalty, this powerhouse performer paved her own path with such heartwarming moments as teaching Rachel to smoke on Friends, digging into Dirk Diggler in Boogie Nights, as well as mastering the ancient art of walking while talking in the West Wing, a skill that some of us can only adequately accomplish. Shout out to Gareth. She is an icon, a goddess, and now she's here with us two dirty rotten scoundrels. With your most Aussiest g'day, please give a round of applause because holy glockamora, it's Joanna Gleason. Fancy meeting oh, you here. Yeah. How are you doing? Well done. I just want to say my sixth decade career must include my debut when I was in the fifth grade of the school play. So well, you know what? That's what I was. I wasn't being insulting. I promise. Oh no, heavens no! You can Google it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I was. Um... You can run, but you can't hide. Yes, I know. Oh, no, trust me. I'm in Australia. I can hide from you. <laughs> no, between guessing actors' ages and guessing their net worths, the internet is a is a hilarious nightmare of stuff like that. I love. I mean, I love the stuff they post. That's absolutely ludicrous. I've gone on sites that purport to be biograph, you know, autobiographical. Wrong city of birth. Wrong date of birth. So yep. made up middle name. You know, just, <laughs> just like absolutely like. Witness relocation, it bears no similarity to, to my life, but you can't go chasing all that to correct it because then you're down the rabbit hole. Yeah, no, when um, I was researching F for his episode, I read that he was born in 1991 and I thought that little younger than me. And then he comes on the show and he's like, no, we're the same age. Yeah. I'm like, oh, so, yeah. all right, there you go. That information was wrong. I spent all this time hating you and now I can like you again. So, but see, again, I said it on the episode and I'll, I'll say it again now. Uh, when you sound like this, when you talk, this is just people assume that you're younger and I grow a beard. Yeah. So people will call me, sir. Like literally, that was that was the whole goal of a, of my of my beard. Do you know who you you actually remind me of with a beard? Michael Cudlitz. I don't know who that is. That actor. He's in the Kids Aren't Alright, Southland. He was in Lost. Okay. He was in Lost as Anna Lucia's partner. Oh. And there's a little of the adorable Seth Rogen ness about you. Yeah. Also I'll take it. Careers abound. Very dude. And- Smart and funny and uh, yeah. It's better than looking like that dude I see at the bus stop. So there's, <laughs> there's that too. But I don't know his name. But anyways, uh, yes, Gareth isn't here. Uh, so he won't be tortured by this week's musical, unfortunately. However, this week, Joanna picked the metal album for us. I did. And she picked a classic from 1983. Well, both of you were born. I was already, maybe according to your math, I was already 60. <laughs> 
I did not insult a legend. Well, that's okay. I'm, I'm actually standing on my own here. Yes, we got. Yes, no, no, no. It's it's all right. You can you can dish all the sass you need to. I'm uh, I can take it. That's that's what this show is about, really. Um, before we'll get to that, actually, you did mention you you started at a very young age in your father's game show, I believe. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't have anything to do with this game show. I no? I went it once. My no. bad. That's more wrong information from the internet. There you go. More <laughs> wrong information. My my dad is was uh, yep. Monty Hall. Monty Hall, who had a very long and storied career, but is most famous um, yep. for Let's Make a Deal, uh, the show that he created, which is yep. still on to this day. And with that uh, platform, went on to be uh, head of major charities of the world and fundraiser wow. and keynote speaker and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he did he did great. But it, but uh, what what kind of catapulted him into consciousness was that was that show. It's funny because you picked Dio, then I can call this episode "Let's Dio. Make a Dio." Oh, well done! Thank you. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so you picked Holy Rider. No, I did it again. Uh, you, did, uh, you see, I picked on the very best of Dio. I was I was actually thinking of Rainbow in the Dark. Rainbow in the Dark was was going to be our little catch. Yes, I like. I mean, the connection the connection's right there, which which I appreciate. It's right in front of you. The the two things, and they're both remarkably theatrical. I will say that before I talk. as I took a deep dive into that album, <clears throat> which yeah. I did more than Glenn Close did on the Oscars when she did her impersonation of Da Butt. Excuse me, how scripted was that moment? But good. Yes, up. I know. I know. I. <laughs> But I decided, well, it would behoove me to actually listen to the very best of you. And you know what? Yeah. I was thinking these guys, by the time they got down to rock and roll children, they were adding synth strings. You know, they wanted a little more like, let's start with a vocal ballad. Let's not just hit them over the head because they wanted to do what we want to do in the theater. They wanted to tell a story and they were getting older. Yeah. And this is what happens even in the the, the heaviest and metalist <laughs> you know, of, of bands, at some point they get exhausted and they don't want their audience to be exhausted. And so stuff starts to creep in that's more artistic. And I, I thought, no, wow, there were some cuts here I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll agree on that. Well, I, I've I have written a review, but I'll tell you what, this invoked a lot of memories of my childhood in a lot of ways, just the sound, but not from this band, from Australian bands. ACDC, obviously you guys would know, but also a band called Skyhook, which were very big in the 70s. I, I suggest uh, check them out because they've got like, this sort of theatrical sound to them. And the lead singer, Shirley Strawn, and he's not with us anymore, unfortunately. Um, he was a very beloved figure in Australia. He... um. He, in the way he's saying he was very theatrical and that sort of did yeah this this album especially reminded me of that so uh, when I first saw the title I wondered what holy diver meant doesn't mean like jumping into holes like exploring caves because I love to spelunk a good crevice when time permits or doesn't mean like a religious figure jumping into water like a baptism I fondly remember my baptism I was 15 and had run away from home and ended up in a bathtub within a house on the side of the mountains, surrounded by anonymous Christians in robes. No, wait, that was last Friday's foam party. Anyway, upon pressing go on the tape deck, I instantly found myself transported back to 1989, back to a time when my parents still had friends and us kids would score sips of beer and scotch if we ran to the shops before closing and brought them packets of cigarettes with a pre-signed note. Ah... Uh, simpler times 
Oh shit, suddenly my entire life makes sense. Anyways, the billiard table and Buddy Holly of yesteryear are soon replaced by the rip-roaring guitars and screechy cacars of Ronnie James Dio's creatively titled band, Dio. And whilst across my 20 to 25 listens of this boganic record, one thing became clearer and clearer each time. The rhymes within these lyrics stick out like the dog's balls. Struth, the flame and drongos rhyme diver with Ivor and thunder with under. I copped a squiz of the lyrics and yeah, nah, fair income. Left me so hungry I almost ate the crotch out of a low flying duck. The music is, nah, yeah, bloody ripper. Go down well with some grog, a pack of durries and a few snags and she'll be right. Three and a half stars. Theatrical, whimsy, crazy, but those rhymes are bloody terrible. Okay, so that's thumbs up it's it's you know i i really enjoyed but the rhymes drove me nuts because every time we would say something like under and thunder i'm like that's not a rhyme that's not (laughs) a rhyme you have just cut the word off that's all you have done and and stephen sondheim would love you oh i i I, no doubt he should very much listen to this show (laughs) that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) shout out to stephen sondheim we'll definitely get to talk about it with with finney's rainbow as well but rhyming rhyming as a concept i will say that like I, i come from a very different world than musical theater originally and as a singer songwriter i am more influenced by hip-hop artists i'm more influenced by growing up listening to a lot of metallica when i was a kid i'm originally from the south so sound was different i just didn't listen to a lot of the things i didn't listen to a lot of pop music and what's interesting is i think that these two records have more in common with how they choose to rhyme because every now and then in tradition i think more traditional musical theater there's the idea of playful misrhyming that they'll they'll say something and they'll intentionally pronounce it incorrectly to make it rhyme later with it with another word yeah but that makes me crazy that makes me crazy that drives me nuts you mispronounce a word to to fit into a and which with a kind of sly wink at the audience like we know it doesn't rhyme but look we're gonna do this i mean being a, a sondheim lady uh, I, your ear gets tuned differently and you start to think oh you could have done better than that yeah. you yes know, you can do better that's, than that that's funny because i actually said to f before i said i need to to practice a little bit more a little bit this time because I cannot stumble on my words in front of somebody who won a frigging Tony for a Sondheim musical. <laughs> I, ca- I would be mortified. And what did I do? I stumbled on my words about. Well, there you times. go. You hurt yourself. Yeah. But I sort of thought, because I'd already written half my review and when I realized F was taking over for this episode I thought hang on a second I'm gonna have two Americans here I could write this in complete Aussie slang and you guys would have no idea what no I'm idea. talking about absolutely no idea but I will tell you something that that, that Dio gets away with and in fact a lot of rock gets away with they just need enough of a rhyme to make the audience remember the song and sing along or, or, or think they know what they're talking about. They don't have to really listen. They just mm-hmm. have to get that little kind of whatever, you know, audio algorithm going so that yep. they kind of know where the phrases are and they kind of know that it's gonna rhyme and it's a forward motion kind of thing in rock and yep. roll. But I challenge any heavy metal artist, and they're, they're artists, they are, to sing oh, yeah. the ballads from, for example, Finian's Rainbow or any Sondheim show and pare down, write to just, you want to tell me a story? Use this. You know, because the difference between us is it has to be not just an extension cord and an amp. 
you know, you have to be able to, can you guys come together? Because I think the Finian's Rainbow cast, with enough kind of warming up and the right costume and, you know, leather, could impersonate a heavy metal artist and make the sound. I mean, I, I mean this in, in the most excitingly funny way possible, but as someone who most of the musicals that I heard, and we'll, we'll get into this later when I try to slyly compliment you without getting embarrassed, but like as someone who was so distant from musical theater when I was a kid and heard stuff that I didn't, I was like, I don't sing like that. I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. And then now most of my auditions, it's so funny because when I was younger, none of those sounds were on Broadway. And so when, when I'm, I, you know, I was, I was really fortunate enough to uh, be in a, a callback situation for uh, Bad Out of Hell and to get to sing Meatloaf, top of my lungs, old yeah. school, like belting tenor for Jim Steinman and getting to yeah. do that to, to a rock and roll legend, but under a theater context, it was so funny because there were some of my friends that were very empty, that were very musical theater. And so like when I get out my guitar or I'll go to an audition and I'm singing rock and roll, my musical theater friends who did Wicked With Me or something like that will go like, wait, you sound like you do rock and roll. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's just technique. It's like, like there are some people who can suit themselves to jazz and there are hard things to do about jazz, like jazz growls and things like that. And, but I go, a lot of the stuff that this guy does, Ronnie James Dio, he sounds like a, one of the many Broadway divas. Yeah. That, that, that very, that very front placement, that like big shaking vibrato. I go, you know, you, you slow down the, the jung jugga jung of the guitar, take a little bit off the the back end, and you've got honestly like a ballad. If you if you I mean the holy diver, if you if you slow it down enough, strange highways starts with this kind of just solo because he's dying to just be heard. You know what I'm saying? More more up close and personal. Ultimately, everybody yeah. wants to tell a story and not just make noise. But I, um yeah, I could imagine him singing Carol Channing. <laughs> Yeah. Actually, last week's episode, which we've already recorded but hasn't yet aired, uh, the guest is a an Australian metal musician who studied musical theatre in university. And he did like the last five years and stuff like that. And I found this out during the like the weeks leading up and Gareth had no idea, but yeah. he was Gareth's guest. So I was kind of able to use that against him in that episode. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, no, so we got to talk about sort of that difference in 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 singing and um, the different styles. There's also a, a Dutch um, metal singer. Um, I can't remember her name now, but uh, she sings. Oh, she she recently released "Let It Go" from Frozen, um, a cover of that, and she's the females, the the singers, the clean singers. Which there's the gra 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 gra. That's the unclean. But then those who sing properly, that's the clean singers. Uh, a lot of them really do have an amazing voice because they've got that power behind it that they can when they go and and they'll sing sort of different genres. And and they, I I want to hear more of it basically. Yeah. So that's sort of why this show exists. Let's blend the these worlds together they're both really bloody theatrical you know what's interesting is though and you you know this f is that when you do a show on broadway you're doing eight shows a week you're working six days a week and by the time you know thursday night rolls around you go oh my god we have the whole weekend thursday friday saturday saturday sunday i mean and, and i watch these guys tour and i think gee you can't do this show ronnie every night you can't right. do this eight times a week can you you can't possibly but you no. hear I, I literally looked up some recordings of him as at an older age 
age. He he died, I think, in the early 2000s. And there are recordings of him as late as 2004, I think, still singing this stuff at pitch. Wow. And it definitely sounds older, but I will say so many metal singers. I, I, I watched this like mini documentary that someone sent me of there was a like a posh um, uh, opera voice coach who was working at this metal festival, working with these guys and gave them like a straw and was like, okay, you know, you, you, you gotta, these are these warmups that you do to be a responsible vocalist. And that it's all affectation um, that like even and it because sometimes it's a trick as well that like one of, one of my best friends in the whole world we went to college together um is the actor who has just most recently played beetlejuice his name is alex brightman and when he does he's only part, like broadway's it boy at the moment <laughs> don't downplay it he is i'm trying to downplay it so i don't seem like weird everyone knows who alex brightman is by this point and rightfully so but what alex is able to do in that show is not vocal damage a lot of people were really worried about it they were like oh man did you blow out your voice doing school of rock and you can't do it anymore but what he's actually doing is what like it's a style of singing that like monks do sometimes where you're actually you're you're phonating on two different levels at the same time. So it sounds really yeah, like the two of them. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So I yeah. think sometimes people think that these rock and roll singers are doing something unhealthy. But I go listen to the original like cast recording of Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. Every time I have to sit for three hours waiting in my ear, nose, throat doctor's office, it's because there was a rock and roller in there, you know, getting getting cortisone shots or yeah. getting his looked at because they or any or any musical theater person, not right. just the yeah. pedestrians, as we call them, the musical the us us actor types who do eight shows a week. But my God, it's really it's a lot to ask and you have to be really in shape but freddie mercury i mean freddie mercury mm. had, if you listen to that voice it never sounds like he's hurting himself and yet Correct. he could fill an arena by just the story he was telling and those songs that music was singular i had to i had to listen to this heavy metal album and i listened to a couple of cuts twice just wonder how much is is amplified and, and what would they be like if you you know just pulled the plug yeah, yeah. i think that's why um i love when they do unplugged or acoustic versions of their songs and you can really hear it um i think we talked about in one of our episodes our early ones because one of the bands had covered their like full-on metal like real rah, 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 as acoustic songs really? and it was absolutely gorgeous absolutely um, music, yeah because yeah, you can actually hear what they're saying hear the melody in it um and that's why I, I do prefer this these 80s um, bands uh, that are, are more very camp in a lot of ways. Um, obviously, I'm pretty camp myself sometimes, but um, yeah, it's a very theatrical. It's very over the top, but it's very melodic. That's the thing. The music was very melodic. I really enjoyed the music. His singing did kind of screech a little bit sometimes, I think. Um, I think that's what's expected. I mean, I think it's, you know, give yeah. the audience what it wants, I think, yeah. in order to yourself as a genre yeah and i'm not too familiar with black sabbath which that's what he was from or am I... he he had had a long career of going from several different bands for Ozzy Osbourne wasn't there some sort of connection yeah I think it was there's a apparently a huge fight slash riff between them that they were both part of Black Sabbath at different times and uh apparently they both tell it differently but Ronnie James Dio left the group after um supposedly being caught in the mixing room readjusting things oh my god um so there was you know a, a rock and roll in that's not a euphemism for anything that's literally oh no 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 no, <laughs> no literally going in and being like you know how you would imagine um 
uh, many Broadway actors wish they could get into the room where the recording for the cast recording was and be like, yeah, you got to turn me down on that song. I was not warm for that. Oh, I, I thought he was diddling with somebody. Sorry, oh, my mind was in the gutter. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, literally, there was no... Euphemism. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. All right. Sorry. When you do a Broadway cast album, you've just yep. opened your show, which means you've done endless performances, endless mm-hmm. opening night tension, the critics... The reviews think you have a day off. What do they do on your day off? Record the cast album. When you're yeah, shot, yeah, when there's yeah. like, you're running on fumes. It's crazy to me. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Look, I, I spent my whole childhood dreaming to get there. And then um, life happened. Life got in the way and now I'm writing. So It's not too late. Yeah. It's never too late. No, look, um, I, I would actually want to get into straight acting. Um, well. You know, straight theatre, not not musical acting. I, I sort of figured... Um, I might see how I go now that theatres are opening up. I don't yeah. know. I'd... I've been teaching actors privately and in theatre schools and all over the place yeah. for about 30 years now. Or maybe, of course, in your years for about 75 years now. I kind of let me live it down. I, oh, I was... I'm not going to let you live it down. <laughs> I didn't, goodness gracious me. I'm... Officially this. It's a girl, <laughs> Mr. Hall. <laughs> that was my debut. It was which one? It's a girl, Mr. Hall. That was my debut. I got stuck on, there's one particular performance she gave in Boogie Nights that obviously like uh, Paul T. Anderson is a genius, an absolute God uh, in in my eyes. And I know he's going to get in trouble for being tyrant. I'm just, I can see it happening now because everyone's canceling everyone who's been a tyrant on a film set. And somebody said he was a tyrant. Well, I think in his early days, he had a bit of a reputation for being cocky. I think. Tell you something. I don't know. I, I, so that's why I want to know what what was it like working with him because he was so young. I will tell you exactly what it was like. And he was 26, I think, when we did. Yeah. I auditioned for him. He could not have been sweeter. And he was jet lagged. He had gotten off a plane. It was a lovely audition. Oh, fantastic. It made me brave. Uh, I didn't think I'd get the part because I'm usually from theater, musical theater yeah. or whatever, whatever. Tell it. I got it. I shot, we shot these really difficult scenes, very emotional uh, and physical. Yeah. Um, Mark Wahlberg was a prince and we were, we took yeah. care of each other. And Paul was nothing but extraordinarily supportive and calm. Oh, good. And made me feel safe. Oh, good. I'll tell you what, that's a relief. It really is because my creative heroes keep getting cancelled and so I've been freaking out. Who else is there? It's like Peter Jackson. He's been known to be very difficult on set. I don't want them just because it's just because they they had a vision. They had a vision that they needed to do. I can't speak to people's experiences that, that left them yeah, you know, shaken the or traumatised or worse, but uh, and certainly there's a lot of that going on. But I'll just remind you there that is. in this country, we had to wait four years till we could officially cancel someone who had broken just about every commandment and law that there was. Yes, and I'm guessing it's... Uh... No, it's Voldemort. Oh. Voldemort. Don't even say... Yeah, the yes, name we no, won't that's say. True. Yes, More sorry. of a, po- a political thing, I think, is what Joanna might be referring to. Oh, oh, yeah. sorry. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I him. I've um, I've got that word muted on Twitter. I don't even see any posts with that T word anywhere in it. So sorry. But see, what what I'll say about that is th- there's a lot of conversation right now about like what what are we as a community and how people's experiences can be different from from show to show yeah. and thing to thing. And what what I want to express to like art fans of the arts. It, it always hurts to find out the the yeah. horrible things about people, but also the sad things. I mean, what people don't realize when you see shows and you you come and see concerts and things like that is that sometimes these things come from our trauma. That I we've all been on stage right after we found out we lost someone. There there's so many things, and you need to let those things influence your experience. 
And then also just acknowledge those survivors and those people who who go through those things and accept that knowledge and don't don't necessarily be so afraid that you're going to find out that someone that you probably didn't know as well as you think you did did something yeah. that you hadn't heard about because of course you haven't heard about it. So exactly. it's I think it's yeah. it's okay. We're trying to calibrate the difference between oh he was just having a bad day for which there should have been profuse apologies by the way yes. and yeah. no disclosure agreements that's that's a whole other kettle of fish yeah. or is that the character and that's the pattern and that's the sense yeah. of immunity and, and that they walk you know through life with uh, and and behaving everything from rudely and bullyingly to just criminally yeah, yeah. And, and obviously you know, i don't don't stand by that when, when i mentioned peter jackson it was things like he got them all to remove snow from a lake so I imagine people would see that as being tyrannical and, and that sort of thing. Like, Dad, he's just trying to do his vision there. That's that's what I'm referring to, um, because obviously it's a changing landscape out there. It really is. And, and it's fascinating to watch from this point of view, because I've sort of done things along the way. So I've always sort of been on the edge of breaking into the industry. And now I'm still on the edge of it. And it's changing so rapidly in front of me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't keep up. But, you know, something... Some good, many good things will come from from mm. this, not only from um, this forced isolation and this still incredible to me worldwide pandemic, this yeah, yeah. that took the world. It's like Mother Nature said, I'm so done with all of you that this is what's coming. Yeah. And it's going to be more than just a few tornadoes and global, this is what's coming. And it, it still is not even, it's more than real. We've lost people, but yeah. it's, still, it's still mind boggling. But from that and the enforced anxiety and tension we've been living with, other things have come to light. And I think it's going to be, you know, it'll, it, it'll be transformative, I think, in a lot of good ways too. One might say we'll be out of the eclipse. Oh, but This summer, winter, spring, or fall, the first ever musical theater sitcom where you go behind the scenes of the latest West End show, The Fosse Forest Ballet. Where's the important stuff? Aha! A thousand pound a week ensemble rate. Ah, that's what Mamma Mia likes. Starring Philip Joel and a West End cast featuring Carrie Alice, Darren Denny, Louise Demon, and Oliver Savile, and more. It all started in 1987 when I was a jobbing actress working in a diner. Yeah, it's just I, I had a really bad experience when I was touring Australia with a wombat. <gasps> Darling! How long have I been mentoring you? Three months? Two years. So her name is Henrietta. The horse. Yes. I've managed to secure you an audition for the biggest, most innovative, and the latest show to be going into the West End. Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. Think more along the lines of Pant. Frozen. You can watch this episode for the price of a coffee. Simply go to www.thefussyforestbelly.com. Any and all profits go back to theatre charities, acting for others, and the theatre's trust. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll see a grown man in sparkly tights. Tight nights. Nice. Tight. Which, for those people at home, is the name of your one-woman show. Yes. So um, we haven't really done um, much in the way of sort of 
smaller cast. I will kind of have, but uh, one uh, so one person show is not the same as a cabaret show. Well, no, indeed. I mean, one person I had my music director playing the piano. I had three expert musicians and three backup singers the moon tones that I put these three yep. together. And so there were seven of us on stage. So it's not exactly a, a one person show, but it's me telling a story interwoven with amazing yep. underscoring and music. And it's funny and it's autobiographical and there's a lot of singing in it. And then there's a lot of also talking. It's quite a, it was quite extraordinarily received. And so we took the two nights we recorded at the LGBT center at the Renberg center in Los Angeles. They recorded, we did it for two nights there, sold out. And we've made an album, such a thing as an album. Can you say an album? <laughs> an album, a CD? Oh yeah. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. It has been recorded. Cause I, I actually had a question about that. Recorded, so we're just you know, engineering it to make it clean and, and all yeah. shiny. Uh, with a live audience there and uh, then we're going to uh, I'm going to sell it but I want part of the proceeds to go back to the LGBTQ center there um, do extraordinary work just for homeless kids too yeah. homeless. well it doesn't affect F but from my community thank you very much so he's he's a, a straight white man so he's technically a pariah to society at the moment <laughs> hey listen I've never no, I'm kidding I'm kidding as a, as a son of two moms I've never been more happy to be a pariah in this moment because I go the, if the if the best thing I can do with my life right now is be an ally to a lot of people who yeah. are getting stories told and and maybe maybe there's going to be a little bit more equity and a little bit more room I'm happy to be an ally in that moment and yeah. any way that I can be a whole lot less judgment and and just you know standing shoulder to shoulder in humanity because everybody needs some healing yes. yeah. everybody got something you can help with yes no, that's it but uh, F you had a question about out of the eclipse uh yeah well one of the things I wanted to know was what what, you're, you're someone who has been a part of so many different projects that are, I, in, in my opinion, the way I see, uh, I know that there are ensemble contracts and principal contracts, but that's not the word ensemble that I'm using now. But you've been a part of so many kind of famous ensembles that like things like The West Wing, even something like Skeleton Twins, which haunting, it's, it's, it's a haunting film. Um, but with, with those and many of the things that you've done in film and television, some of the, the series that you've worked on, but also something like Into the Woods, that it's, it's a huge ensemble effort. In your Tony speech, you thanked your cast as one of the first, first pieces. What's that like? Like, what's the difference feel like working on something that, well, immediately you acknowledge that you're one woman show. There are other people on stage and the moon tones and your music director. I like being part of an ensemble. I literally yeah. created this ensemble behind me so that I wasn't just at a microphone or just me and a piano because I like, I like the energy. I like harmony. I like three and four part harmony. I love it. And so there's quite a lot of that you know, with these fantastic singers and fantastic people. We've become, we've done that show in Los Angeles and at a beautiful, uh, here at Fairfield University, a gorgeous theater and at 54 Below, a big club in New York City. We've done it, you know, at least a dozen times. So I'm more comfortable when I am part of something than I am if it's just me. I've always been more comfortable just being part of a group that where everybody shines and then the, the, the sum of its parts, yada, 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 is, you know. Art of collaboration. Th that I got to stand out for this role or that role is wonderful. But there are actors who, even if they are in an ensemble, and we call it going into business for themselves, go into business for themselves. Mm -hmm. And you can tell it, it makes me uncomfortable, but it's very flashy sometimes and it gets a lot of attention. I like to I like to just have the whole thing get a lot of attention and then yeah. then you get your share. I like that. So you saw the eclipse. I mean really it was named because there was a big eclipse in 2017. I guess you must have said it's one planet, so when the sun disappears at different times yeah. too, it's dark. Well, 
I guess my mom had died in June. Then there was the eclipse in August. Then my dad died in September. So like right in the middle, I was in this dark, really this the whole thing is it's about their lives it's very funny about them young and about them old and about them dying and it's believe me it's still funny but also quite moving because i literally come out of the darkness in the show it ends it ends with uh, a famous song which we did a different take on and um and it's one of the most satisfying theatrical experiences i've ever had i i say that also because i wrote it and i conceived of it so i was kind of in charge of what i wanted what i wanted to do yeah your vision my vision yeah so did you make people remove snow from the stage no but that's next yep next awesome i look forward to that i look forward to the the, the write-up about that <laughs> joanna gleason tyrant no I'm, we're not going to hear that cancelled. she's cancelled oh god no goodness gracious me well i hope you bring it to australia because i will be there you know i Somebody asked me if I wanted to do it um, again, just or if I wanted to write about it. A, a very famous publication asked if I wanted to write an article about about losing my parents, and I thought, right in the middle of COVID, people are losing people in the most ghastly, unforeseen, unpredictable ways with no preparation and no. So I don't. I just think this is not the time for that story. Yeah. You know, because these other stories are more pressing and they're more with us. So yeah. I took a step back, but I would love to bring this show to Australia. Are you kidding me? Oh my god. No, I'm not kidding. I'm saying please bring it to Australia and I will be there front and center, yeah. definitely. Or maybe not front. I hate being in the front row. No, you don't want to sitting up like that, looking up the nostrils. And and believe me, yeah. when I have I don't know if, if you've experienced this, but theater has so become not an event in New York City that people come in their flip-flops and put their feet up on the stage when they sit in the front row. Yeah. Aww. It always makes me wish Madeline Kahn was there to say her line from Blazing Saddles of if you're not an actor, get your your friggin' feet off the stage. Um, <laughs> Patty Lupin to just yes. Oh yeah. Say that we need Patty. No, there was definitely a story when I was at Wicked that I had just missed it, but apparently the 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 cast kept coming off stage and going, guys, it smells like pizza. Why does it smell like pizza in the theater? We don't sell pizza. Someone had brought an entire pizza in and was in the first or second row with a full box of pizza and was handing out slices to their friends. Yeah. So apparently the Pharaoh then went backstage and ordered, um, I think about 50 pizzas to be delivered to the stage door by intermission. Good times. Just, uh, I haven't written this question down, but um, I'm, I'm curious because I'm going to ask all performers this question. I've noticed something in the past 15 years and that the standing ovation seems to be given a lot more freely than what it used to be given. It's about as devalued as the Zloty. So whatever. I'm not crazy, am I? No, you're not crazy. Absolutely okay. not crazy. And it makes me crazy that if I don't feel like standing up for what I just saw, everybody around me is going to give me the evil eye. Yeah. And, and you're going to look like the asshole because you're the one. And I'm sitting there and, and I'm thinking to myself, hang on a second, you've just seen them on a half-assed performance in a preview. They got half their lines wrong. Why are you standing up? Yeah. Why? Like, and I think to myself, it's reality television. And because the audience feels that they're participants now, because everybody feels like they're on camera or on stage or, you know, here's a, here's a selfie of me watching a show. I go, well, then you're not watching the show. No, no, it's just, um, we've it's, gone, we've gone to hell. Clearly. So I sort of think to myself, why is this happening? What right. is this? The producers putting plants in the audiences or. Yeah, I don't, I really don't know. I mean, I remember being lucky enough to get my first standing ovation and it was from Into the Woods and I was completely unexpected and it knocked me back. Yeah, you earned that. I thought, well, to a certain extent, I feel like, you know, 
we earned it. And, 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 but did, not, yeah. nothing gets earned. Some things have just not been earned. No. And, and what's your experience, F? Because obviously you've done Wicked. So that would Yeah, be... I, I think the funny the funny thing is when, when I when I think about it, I'm kind of two minds of it. One yeah. is in my head, I had all these ideas of what theater was supposed to be as a kid. And there were certain things that like my 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 mother had been my theater teacher my whole life. My brother is an actor and a theater person. Like my whole my whole family had had been been a part of it. So I learned about things like what a standing ovation was. I, I learned these things as, as a kid. And then when I got into the business, I think there was part of me that I, I separated the things so much that mm-hmm. I think I'm really fortunate that I never until recently realized that some people thought that when you go out and bow, it is so you can go out and have people tell you how amazing you are. Like, I didn't know yeah. that was the concept. I always thought it was the actors going out and thanking the audience and saying, look at us as humans being in this same space. And that's how I always treated it. So for me, there was an idea of acknowledging that shared space and that shared time because theater only happens once. It is temporal timelessness. It is, there's no version of theater, even if you do it exactly the same, the, the world was not in the same position, you know, whatever. Same or twice. And and that's why your Tuesday night show, if it's if it's amazing, you cannot possibly retrieve it for Wednesday. Yeah. And I think I think where that comes into my concept of standing ovations and things like that is I go, I'm a shrewd critic and I have been a part of shows that I hated. I've been a part of shows that I was like, I can't believe, like, I almost wanted to like hold my hands up and say, stop everyone, please. What did you think was good? Like I was You've made a horrible garbage tonight. Yeah. But I also have to acknowledge that, and maybe we'll get into it with the, the musical that we'll get into, but yes. my like or dislike of something or my critique or non-critique of something shouldn't affect someone else's enjoyment or lack of enjoyment for it so there's part of me that has to acknowledge that when i when i've been doing big budget shows that have lot like right now being a part of frozen i'm i'm a lot of children's first musical yeah, yeah. and i'm a lot of adults first musical because they you know never liked musicals then they had kids and they were like well my my son or my daughter they want to take me to they want to see the you know the musical they saw the movie i'll go and i have had i have had legitimately my favorite one was at wicked i had this guy come up to me like tattoos down his arm he had like a big leather jacket on he comes in and he goes you want a wicked oh, i love wicked oh man come on <laughs> those girls oh, everybody's singing oh i love wicked so much and for me i went if that person felt the need to stand up and applaud oh yeah i judge them i do personally judge them because i think they're wrong <laughs> but i don't want to take that away from them here's the other thing you, you sort of touched on this we there were nights um during into the woods where friday nights are tough because the, the wives usually pre-bought the tickets and the husbands have been working and or the wives and husbands have been working all week. It's Friday night. They've had dinner. They've had something to drink. They want to relax. And very often we'd look out and we'd see the wife looking up at the stage attentively and the husband kind of like you know, dropping off <laughs> asleep or the husband sleeping and the wife looking at him with the glaring, what are you doing? So that nobody's looking at the stage. But what I realized by the curtain call is something got through yeah. it doesn't matter what and they're going to go home that night and maybe something sweeter or tenderer or less exhausted or less irritated will happen they really won't be able to name why but it, we did that yeah. we we took them from where they were to someplace else you know and and it, it makes a big difference it was why this is what i love about theater yeah. it yeah. moves people to the places they can't express 
Well, um, speaking of, of Into the Woods, was just a, a, you don't need to go into details, a, a definitive yes or no. Was there ever any discussion that this was an allegory for HIV? Yes or no? No. No. Oh, okay, cool. Because that, that settles it for me. I don't need to hear any more theories. I don't need to hear anything else. <laughs> look at the context. You have to look at the context of the times. Yes. Unavoidable. Mm-hmm. But unavoidable because it was in the 80s. There it was, right? Right in yeah. the 80s, yeah. according to Steve. And James Lapine, no, it was never meant to be that. Okay, yeah, because I know there's so many theories going around, and so many people say yes, it is, yes, it is. And and Stephen had said, I think he said something sort of kind of ambiguous that still made people think that you know they could read into it more. Uh, and we had discussed it recently. Unfortunately, Gareth didn't enjoy it as much as I was hoping he would. A 50 year old man, uh, a metalhead, uh, didn't like fairy tales. I'm uh-huh. sad to say. Don't know what's wrong with him, um, but he he sees the genius in Sondheim, especially with assassins in in terms of the the songwriting and and his ability there. The songwriting, the songwriting is, is extraordinary, and assassins in and in a little night music and in Sunday in the Park with George, which was was actually my my favorite yep. <laughs> uh, uh, show. Um, yeah, no, I, I understand, but you can't you can't take the thing out of context. You can't take into the woods out of context. No. When the minute you open the theater doors, there's the world. You know, there's the world with this yeah. horrific new reality. So I've, I've always <laughs> seen Into the Woods as an international show myself. That you could do it in any accent, and it's still going to just that you don't need to do it in in a rounded English. You don't need to do it in American or, or something like that. And I've I've never seen it live, um, but sort of asking people who have I would always ask people what accents would you hear and I'm always getting English or American and I want to hear it in Australian I hate the Australian accent but I just think that that's that sort of international story that it it is universal and everybody has their fairy tales every culture has its fairy tales many of these and and every country almost has 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 woods (laughs) so metaphor of being lost in the woods or or having to find your way back to the light is is international yeah so and so i'm I'm challenging theater companies out there who if you're any listening do it in your natural accents listen i'm i'm thrilled beyond belief that one of the first international productions that's opening in a new language of frozen is the japanese production is in rehearsal right now and the whole show is going to be in japanese i cannot wait to hear it it will have a completely different phonic texture and i'm i'm thrilled for those amazing performers who are like remarkably talented in their own right um and and i think there is something about theater that we don't always get to decide what it's about even when we write it and and i think to to go back for two seconds about like the way that a show is interpreted i think it is so important while you're while you're doing it to know and to and to do those things and because you're part of that creative process yeah. and and i think the scariest thing for anyone who's ever done a show that went on to do anything and granted i do not have him into the woods in my back pocket but some of some of the things when I've talked to students who have worked on something like Dogfight and they oh, said, yeah. oh, well, this this meant this thing to me. And I go, yeah, that I mean, that wasn't that wasn't it at all. But no. <laughs> theater and especially live theater, it feels different because you cannot take I think Joanna said it brilliantly. When you open the doors, the world is out there. And I think yeah. that is what makes live theater one of the most incredible things and something that we're really missing in the world right now, because all the performances, the air in the room has the context of the living day. And I think that's, that's I mean, one of the reasons why I miss doing live theater during this last year. 
um, because there is that there is that living context that you always have to inform what how you know the audience will take things in different ways um, because of of the world. But, but look what we look what entertainment has had to push to get your attention because things in the world are so crazy and we're living in the upside down most of the time these days. The the superhero franchises, which are big, which by the way. They always end in a fist fight, which is perplexing to me when the big superheroes, you know, like Godzilla, King Kong, it always ends up like in a fist fight. Um, you know, when you had other weapons at your disposal, never mind. But it always comes down to that. Or the more dystopian, the, the, the darker, the grislier, the more violent. And I think, well, somewhere, somewhere there's a lane open for the story that really is about people you know. You know, people you know, not outliers but people you know who have their own quiet, private dramas going on come from away. There you go. My friend Sharon Wheatley's in the Broadway Bushhead. It's, oh, it's yeah. about people you know. Yes, it is, isn't it? It's, um... And it's very relatable. Sorry, I had to, because when you were saying that, I'm like, that's that's the show that the world needs right now is Come From Away. And I know F hasn't seen it yet. I haven't. Got to hurry up and see it. Uh, I know, I know. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, but yes, anyways, we'll, we'll segue over to the musical side, because I think we've, we've long, long left Dio in the <laughs> dust. Um, and this week, we uh, Joanna chose Finian's Rainbow for F to listen to. Yeah. Which are... Uh, show f you know the show i i know i know of the show i i had heard of it um my it's one of those when you're when you're in theater school and it's something that now as a my only like i guess my like i've done it for somewhere in two decades but yeah. only two decade career um oh. that i when i was in theater school no it would be three by now is it oh cool okay i'll take it when did what what when did you start when i was born when it, oh there you go it's a it's a four decade career then yeah there you go yeah. um yeah. but uh when when i was in theater school you would constantly be told that you needed the perfect song for every single audition and some people still very much believe that I have one and a half songs in my book, but that's also because I only audition for like new stuff because no one really wants to see me audition for other stuff. So I'm very fortunate that most of the time I get to sing the the material that I'm auditioning for, which is yeah. again, yeah, it's a- Michael. No, F or F or F. Yeah. Michael, there it's it like is. F. Murray Abraham. It's yeah. F. Murray. Michael, if if you were in my class, what I would do because you have your your what you think are your factory settings and the things that you do best, I would throw you an old ballad from let's say Finian's Rainbow or a song yeah. ballads only because you can work with them because they're really monologues. And I would say, bring this in and let me see how your thoughts move and let me see you know what comes out of you this way with no vocal obligation. You know, right now your generation and younger are, feel this vocal obligation to just wail to the rafters with the big belting, the high notes and all of that melismatic exfoliation, you know, 12 notes to the note. Oh, and, yeah. and I say, but who are you when I give you a ballad that you may not have heard of because it was written before you were born? Yes, much has occurred before the day you were born. And some of you should know what the bones are that the rest of the theater has been built on. Excuse me for ranting and getting on my no, soapbox. No, no, that's what this show is for. Here's the thing. Funnily <laughs> enough, I'm going to totally agree with you. Oh, yeah. Because I, I will say, like, when I when I first came into musical theater, I never let anybody know. I was a singer-songwriter. I never let anybody know that, <laughs> like, I used to busk in Washington Square Park when I was in college. And I would play guitar for, like, eight hours a day and and sing. And then I'd go to, to acting class. And I'd go and do this and that. And I'd play at the bitter end on the weekends. And then I'd come in and... And I would sing in my what I called my musical theater voice, and it was this this 
thing that I, I learned to do this affect of like trying to sing like George Hearn that I, I heard his incredible voice and I went, I, I, I want to try to sing like that. And, and it was still always- George Hearn doesn't think of it as his musical theater. Totally. That is, I'll tell you this story voice. And likewise, you- Exactly. Have- so I, I think that's the thing that I learned that I went, because I was so alienated from musical theater and didn't like it as a, as a concept for so long. And then- oh. To be frank, and I'm going to give you like, I'm going straight for a compliment and I'm not even going to try to hide it. Uh, I had only seen the old movies and I, again, was standoffish from them and saw like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and and all these, all these like the era of musical theater Hollywood. And finally, in the same year, I saw the pro shots of three different musicals. And it was the year I decided to do this as a profession. And it was the Sweeney Todd with George Hearn and Angela Lansbury. Uh, Pippin with Ben Vereen and William Catt um, and Into the Woods and your company. And it's because I went, guys, I don't care that every single person on this stage is an incredible singer. They could sing whatever notes, but they're singing the ink and they're telling the story and that it's it's the acting. And that was the thing that I always, I never understood about musical theater because there was this idea of musical theater that was like, it was like the it was like the old old Hollywood that seemed like bad acting to me. Those are movies. You're not live in the room with these people, yeah. And have a visceral response with the with the people around you. Movie yeah. musicals have been generally a, an entirely different experience yeah. since once. You know, and also musical theater got. A, I'm putting it in air quotes for your listening audience. Big rabbit ear air quotes here. Musical theater got a bad rap when a lot of male actors found it uncomfortable to get out there and hold a note or be uh, contemplative or have to sing. And so it got, you know, it got, oh, it's a, well, I'm a real actor. I don't do musicals. And I go, really? Yeah. Because if you can do a musical, you can do anything. Yeah. Yep, that's it. It's like Shakespeare. I must say, it's if you can do a good musical. Yeah, but I think that's the thing that I've always that I learned from. To be honest, watching watching, especially one of the shows that that you helped create, that I went, I want to do what they're doing. I want to tell these stories, and I want it to be about the acting. And I'll say, having been a part of some professional productions that are looked at for the notes and the riffs, and I'm the guy sitting there on the side going, I don't care what notes she's singing have you watched her acting she's incredible you're not in control at an audition of what you of what they're looking for and some of them are looking for the flash razzle dazzle and the big kind mm-hmm. of thing one dimensional two dimensional thing uh, captions under pictures you know i just call you make a picture and you sing the caption or they're looking for the the acting and 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 i must say james lapine wrote these what seemingly seemingly simple characters but they are they are really hard to do well and i've yeah. seen the show in five different iterations from high school, you know, through, and brilliance has come through better than these people had known that they had the cap- capacity to do because the writing is so good and what is demanded of them as an ensemble raises the game, you know, ups the game. So you would not have to worry. You wouldn't have to sweat yourself about, is it my musical theater voice? Or how can I show them the acting? In a good piece, it's, it's, okay. it's all you can do. And that's that's fortunately what I've learned over over this four now four decades. My career is just growing decade by decade. Um, but that's that's the thing that I've learned that the the more that I've just said, you know, they're gonna like me or they won't. There are things I can do that are obviously stylistically more important. If I'm going to sing, yeah, you know, what kind of fool am I? It's going to be different than how I would do Heaven on Their Minds. But that we've we've genreed musical theater so much as an idea that I think it's it's scared off 
what is most important about musical theater for me, which is the actor. It is not yeah. the American Idol, it is the actor. Australia hasn't had a show called The Band's Visit come down yet, has it? Um, oh, actually, no, I don't think we have yet. A small, no. quiet, brilliant show. Yeah. That yeah. show played the same season as Dear Evan Hansen, bigger, more, you know, uh, muscular, and mm -hmm. bigger requirements and singing and all that. But there was room for both of those, yeah. which was very exciting to me, that there's room for The Band's Visit. There's room yeah. for Adam Gettle's Light in the Piazza, the same as Dirty Rotten Scoundrels the same year. Yeah. So, the, you know, there, there's a spectrum. But we've kind of breached this seawall and the flood of, you know, jukebox musicals. All of it can be very well done with very, very talented people. But it requires much less of the audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah now we're, we're not really four jukebox musicals on this show. Well, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia, still playing. I mean, it, you know... A phenomenon but it doesn't pretend to be anything else no no and when you think back to sort of where it's come from you know back then and, and there was a lot of standards like mm -hmm. in the, the 60s the 50s the, this even the 70s the the musical uh, the show tunes would become pop standards that's right. That's right. and we're not getting that anymore despite the fact there is so much contemporary music in musical theater yeah you know you're absolutely right that's a really good point because i think send in the clowns when it was covered by sinatra mm -hmm. or Collins was about the last time i remember a song coming out of a show and becoming a stage. yeah um I, I can't think of anything from maybe the past 20 years or so that has really like th songs have been popular like yeah. look at Hamilton the the songs in that are, are very popular but in terms of becoming a pop standard that's yeah it's mostly coming out of cinema I think these days which is a shame because I think I think some of it and and this is this will get into my my feelings on Phineas Rainbow Yes. Um, some of it came from the where Broadway came from. Uh, this is not my Broadway history class, but uh, where Broadway came from was was a combination of vaudeville and then these giant extravagant follies. And I think what's interesting about the as I've studied the old musicals and I say old, the classics, the Rodgers and Hammerstein, Rodgers and Hart, Lerner and Lowe, the, the traditional Cole Porter, all these things. There was this thing about the music and the era of songwriters that were existing is that they all worked with each other they went from team to team I mean the whole concept if you ever heard of Tin Pan Alley as an idea of all these songwriters who got together and they would just write hits just hit after hit after hit and then they would say what goes where that's why depending on which version of anything goes which is maybe one of those shows that we should just not do anymore celebrate the songs let's do that but there's some problems <laughs> with it um, but uh, when you different versions of anything goes have 10 different songs in, and I'll say listening to this we got to Old Devil Moon and my ears perked up and I went oh give me a jazz standard okay what I, I they got the rights how do they get to write to, to this and then i went oh wait it was from this it was from and so i think it's this really amazing thing that the songs were scene change sometimes in original shows there was the the vaudeville comedy scene the troupe you know the larry curly and mo ba, 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 ba. and then you have the big number and then you come and you focus it down you have the big solo because of amplification all sorts of things so the songs worked as the show stops people have a song about how they feel in that moment mm -hmm. and then the show picks back up and they go plot again what i and the reason as an actor i fell in love with the idea especially of sondheim as a writer is because it was so different which was the reason that they're not pop hits, which is these, the plot doesn't stop. The characters learn things. They, they go through journeys. They second guess themselves. Sometimes the chorus is even evolved. But Steve did that in the lyrics too. But Gypsy, look at the musical Gypsy. Mm -hmm. That one, every song is a continuation of or an enhancement mm -hmm. of the scene that they're in leading you to the next scene. Nothing until you get to a deliberate showstopper. 
Rose's turn. Exactly. You know, in act two. Yeah. That's why they call a showstopper because out comes this person, does the thing that's been building all night, does but you know, torn from their loins and, and their brains, and that stops the show in a good way. Uh, Jennifer Holiday did it at the end of Act One in Dreamgirls mm-hmm. in the early eighties. Uh, we had never, I'd never been in an audience and and felt something like that. Um, uh, it's like nineteen eighty one or something. And, and uh, the first act curtain, she does, and I'm telling you, I'm not going. This was Jennifer Holiday that so elevated us out of our seats that Michael Bennett, the director, was smart enough not to stop the show there, but have the music continue into the next scene because you can't recover from that and you no. can't get your mission. I mean, it was no. one of the most thrilling theatrical experiences I've ever been a part of in an audience. I don't think it's ever toured to Australia or we've had, ever had a professional production here, which is a shame because we have a very large Indigenous community here. You'd think that they would have had a production of it professionally by now, but they haven't. And that drives me nuts. Because I really do want to say that. And and I've noticed in the, the live London recording with Amber Riley, when she finishes, I'm not telling you, I'm not going. It does. It continues in with the um the music into the next scene, because I don't think there is any way uh, that that applause could maybe go on for five minutes if the you know she's on on you know really in like on her a game that night so um but yeah no finian finian's rainbow is yeah. uh one actually that i'm not familiar with uh terribly myself i had seen the movie i think maybe twice as a kid so it was i was revisiting it myself but i i wonder if how much did you know finian's rainbow besides that one song i'll, I'll be i'll be i'll be absolutely <laughs> candid at first some of yep. the people who were in this particular recording are friends of mine who i've seen in yes. other things like that um i also believe that not every actor gets to pick the things that they work on so anything that i say (laughs) about about this and i mean i'm not i'm not about to like try to destroy it um art is art is art but uh kate baldwin is one of the most amazing singers she's also such a brilliant actor i have seen her do everything from singing country music in a Chekhov rewrite where they rewrote they rewrote a Chekhov play into be about like a small country dive bar and she was incredible and she was singing real country like it was written by someone from Nashville it was um, amazing and to hear her sing this or to see her in Big Fish see her in so many other shows she's remarkable Cheyenne Jackson his voice is like butter again them singing Old Devil Moon I could put it on repeat and just listen to it it's it's incredible i mean you have you have chuck cooper who's broadway legend um in this recording you have chris fitzgerald who is an amazing actor with a huge career like he's someone who anytime i know chris fitzgerald has done the part because i've been a bach i always go maybe maybe one day i could get a shot at doing that so like chris is a good barometer for me and a really talented guy um Terry White, who I don't know very well, who sings um, Necessity. Um, really, like the ensemble of this company, they sound great. The musicians sound great. I hate that I could, I had to look up later. There were all these. But, comma, aren't you? You're getting to the. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was going to say, but one thing that made me sad was there were all these sections that were just music. And I come from, I mean, I was a, in band. I wanted to be a band director my whole life. That's what I wanted to do. And so there were these orchestral moments. And I went, this seems weird to put on a cast recording. I don't, un- they usually skip these sections in shows and found out that there was a, a mute character who yeah. just does dance sections. Um, all that to be said, I think the weirdest thing, and I couldn't stop thinking about it, the whole show was, I feel like something racist is happening. 
Like that was immediately my my thought. I didn't I didn't pick this show because it was a particular favorite of mine. It is actually not. It just oh. kind of had a heavy eye on the rainbow, you know, the sort of rainbow connection. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's something to talk about. No, it's it was written as a satire. It was yes. written as a satire in two acts. So their idea you know, um, Harburg and Burton Lane, their their idea of it, it was almost too hip to be, it, it couldn't be done in a, in a wink, wink way. It was done legitimately and now is wildly inappropriate. Yeah. And also not that funny and not that good. It's a convoluted plot and, you know, it's and all that with some beautiful songs. Absolutely. And, and I think, I think one of the things that shocked me the most when I did my research afterwards was that, that Harburg, that was the name of the librettist yeah. and the lyricist, also wrote all of the music for Wizard of Oz mm -hmm. and the music to this really does soar and really is is beautiful I'm originally from the south so I had heard musicals I'm from Georgia from Macon Georgia George. um, but I had heard shows that I didn't know were musicals at the time things like Cotton Patch Gospel and Big River that I had heard these and they sounded like you know they sounded like country music I'd, I'd heard mm -hmm. that kind of stuff before so every now and then hearing sounds from this that elicited that feeling I think the opening does that very much so that all of a sudden I was like okay what's gonna happen here like where are we where are we going with this and then I mean I I'm I'm Irish just like I guess like everybody is Scotch Irish like any my my 23 and me just came back and said some sort of white um and so I you know I, I took Irish as a language in college which by the way it's very hard Irish like modern Irish um so all of a sudden going like okay so leprechauns and gold and then also the concept of credit so there were all these things that were just so fascinating and without the context of of the play so many of these songs seemed they seemed from different plays it seemed like um someone had made me a a a playlist because both in genre and in practice, I wasn't quite sure what I was following. Well, that's because there there are two there are two genres at work here. One, if you're going to write a satire, but you can't have because they say satire is what closes Saturday night and opens on Friday and closes on Saturday because a satire has a very short shelf life and the joke is over. And once the joke is over, you know. But then here are two expert songwriters. Well, wait a second. We're not just writing a sketch comedy here thing, you know, for for an episode of you know a, a comedy show. Yeah. They wrote a beautiful score, so suddenly you've got this beautiful, heartfelt uh, uh, score that that the singers and actors are playing legitimately yeah. and, and realistically, set against the backdrop of a paper thin kind of you know satire. Yeah, I think the thing that threw me the most was all of a sudden I was like, oh, Chuck Cooper's in this. All right, come on, Chuck. Where's Chuck been? I haven't heard him the whole time. So when I, I Google the plot. Um, in 1947, when the original Broadway show happened, the NAACP censured the show. Um, they were like, uh, no, because they were doing blackface in the show. And then when Francis Ford Coppola directed the film in the in the 60s, no, 60s, yeah, late 60s? I think 68 maybe. No, because I was already 70 or 80 by then. <laughs> but, so, but, but pre pre-Godfather <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola directed the film, 20 years after the Broadway show, he went, I think we should do blackface again. And they did blackface in the movie, which is just, it's hard to conceive. <laughs> and I'll say I went back. It's hard to show when you think you're right-headed about something it's hard to show how 
abominable you think it is by doing it again without assuming that we know that you're, forgive the expression, woke enough to know that you're showing how horrible it is when it's just wrong. Yeah, correct. And I, I think the thing that I... <laughs> I, I tried to find interviews with the company from this from the city center city center version that became the the new Broadway recording, and I, I think the thing that interests me the most is something about musicals in general because it takes so long to craft musicals and because artists usually have a lot to say. I find I don't find fault in the things that this story was trying to talk about in the 40s. I mean, it's it's remarkable that these things are not that far away. So as far as my enjoyment of it, I mean, there were some bangers on there. I will be honest. There were some songs that I was like, yes, let's go. Like, come on. Like, again, like Old Devil Moon with Cheyenne and Kate was a hit. It was a hit out of the park. I, I When there was a reprise, I all of a sudden was like, oh, please, please sing it again. Um, and, you know, I'm not even trying to say like, well, yeah, it's weird when the guy sings when I'm not near the girl I love. I love the girl I'm near. Like men are garbage in general. We know that to be true. But I think the thing that uh, amazed me was theater right now is struggling with being daring and struggling with having an opinion. And I think a show that talks about the concept of ownership of land and what credit means to humans mm -hmm. and the idle rich versus the idle poor all of these conversations are so absolutely important that where I would be like, eh, maybe this conceptually, this show gets high marks for me because I think I think someone was trying to do something. Execution might not have worked. It's definitely a conversation. You see, they were at crossroads. They were at cross purposes. If you want yeah. to pull those themes out and talk about the business of Henry James, the, the business of America is business, about how everything is about business and gold and the proximity to gold and Fort Knox and then land and, yeah. then, and ownership. And then you pull each one of those out and you can write plays and August Wilson can write plays about things. And we can have, you know, American playwrights talk about America in those ways. If you, yes. if you put it all together in, 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 and jumble it in, into a, a two act, you know, comedy essentially, and then add music that's supposed to really move us and invest us in the characters. I don't think it succeeds that way. I never did like this show. I, mm -hmm. I really never did like it because I did not know if I was supposed to take it seriously. I didn't know if it was supposed to be medicine of some sort to school me as to the, you know, the, the wickedness of our, of our ways. I just, I, it, it never was one thing I wanted to run and go see. However, if you play me the album and I get to hear these fantastic performers sing these songs, that I can put on in the car as I'm driving and be very happy. I, I would just like the record to state that I was referring to the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, <laughs> 2010s, and 2020s. That is six decades. It starts in the 70s. I was not insulting a legend who I've admired my whole life, but I am mortified that I've embarrassed Absolutely. myself. But that's no. what I was referring to. You can't. It's given us a free callback the whole episode. I you did. You gave me my favorite thing, which is callback humor. But that yes, that's good. True. good. I've been working um, in all those decades. Yes. Yes, because uh, I have this argument. This is completely unrelated. That the new decade did not start until January of this year. It did not start last year, like people keep saying, because ten 
finishes in zero. It doesn't finish in nine people. Why 2K? Was it? Was it? Did we go through this with when does the millennium? Yes, we did. And there was no year zero. If there was a year zero, then nine would be the end of that decade. All right. But you cannot have a decade finish on nine because that's not how a decade works. Full stop. That's it. End of story. That's it. But that's what I was referring to that started in the 70s. I just. <laughs> no, I, I, now you're my hero. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I, I was very careful. I'm always look. I asked Andrew Lipper a question last week, uh, two weeks ago, or it, during the episode. I was trying to say to him that he found his Sondheim moment, and I asked the question, and I specifically stated, "I am not talking about music, and I'm not talking about lyrics." Mm-hmm. And Gareth decides to put his foot out and trip me over and say, "Are you talking about plagiarism?" No. And it's a it's a hilarious moment. And Andrew's uh, Andrew Lippa of all people is like, "I'm going to get my lawyer on the phone." And so I'm like, oh, "This will be our final show, people." <laughs> I was very very specific with my words. Like I was meaning it was a con- there was a spiritual connection. They belong in the same review, if you will, in the same song sure. cycle. He found his Sondheim moment. It was a compliment. Of course. Writers and actors always, like every every actor, anytime you go, oh, you know who you remind me of? Every actor cringes because they go, I'm only going to, you're like, I'm going to think of the worst parts of that person. I'll tell you something. When when Rosalind Russell, like, if you can look her up, she was in His Girl yes, Friday, uh, I guess, a, a million others. Gypsy, yep. When, yes, yes. When Rosalind Russell said to me, I hear you're the next Rosalind Russell, I thought I would die and a lily would spring up and there'd be a headstone and Joanna Gleason would just die. Because yeah. I I loved her. I loved yeah. Barbara Stanwyck. Was she happy about that though? She was. Oh, okay, that's all right then. Because <laughs> you wouldn't want it to be daggers staring at you like I hear you're the next Rosalind Russell. Yeah, no, no. I, I think when, when an actor, and I've had another, uh, I, I said to an actress recently, please take this in the spirit it's intended you remind me of me a little bit. And she said, I hope so. And I think it's like this great kind of love we have for each other. And when you're yeah. young, you imitate everybody to, until you find yourself. You know, yeah, it's yeah. not a bad exercise for a young actor to pick one and just flat out try to imitate them. I have I have a question to go back to Finney's Rainbow for just just a moment. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think you I think Joanna, I think you've mentioned some things a few times that I'm really interested because of because of the way you phrase some things to see how you respond to this. In one of the interviews I saw from you, you said you loved working on new things. That was your that was your your focus, that you want to work on new work. So my my question is. What do you think the role of a revival should be? And then what is the, what's the responsibility in a revival, especially a musical revival? What is the responsibility to the, the creators and the original performers, as well as um, addressing how a piece uh, fits into its new time in, it, in which it's being revived? I'll tell you, you have only two ways to go. You're either doing a flat out homage, yeah. which is trying to re- re- reawaken everybody's memory of when they saw it originally, or you take it and you run with it, which is terribly exciting. Some fail and some do very, very well. Um, I, I saw there were there were there was a production of uh, of Sunday in the Park with George, which was brought over from London, which was visually something very different from what I had seen. It was stunning. It was just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I've seen I've seen as I told you I've seen all these different productions of Into the Woods. There was one. Um, oh my God, uh, the name the small company. Oh, I go over the lantern, and I, uh, the name has just flown out of my head because I haven't eaten because we've been doing this, and I could go on all night. But all I have- <laughs> now I feel even more bad. Uh, anyway, but it was fantastic. <laughs> small minimalist 
you know, double casting, almost no set, yeah. like just in a little box. Fantastic. Or you do just a straight up, literally revive it, like, you know, clear, and you put the things on yeah. the part and you get it back to life. Was it Fiasco? Was that the company? Yes, I think. Fiasco was. Theater Company. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think that's correct. Yeah, beautifully. Done. So I don't have a, I don't have a preference. I just say surprise. Oh, I have a first edition F of Wicked from London. Oh. A first edition. Wow. Which I got in Australia. <laughs> I I have I have never read it because when when Joe Mantello cast me in the show, I yeah. said, you know, Joe, is there any any advice you give me? And he goes, Don't read the don't book. Read it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because the character I played, Bach, has a very altered version of the story to help make it a two-hour experience and not uh, the full novelization that is very and different. And not an R-rated experience is what you're saying? Because there's a fair yeah. bit of foul language in that. I can't wait to do a show where I get to curse. If Olaf the Snowman curses, I get in a remarkable so, amount of trouble. Say in Boogie Nights, I got to swear, say just about everything. And it was yeah. tremendous. Yes, yeah. liberating. Speak just on, on that. You have a, a minor role, but it is so incredibly impactful because your character very much, I think, in, in a way, sets Dirk off right. on this path. And sets them out, yeah. So firstly, shame on the SAG Awards for not including you in their frigging nominations because I noticed you weren't listed in that and I thought that is absolute bullshit for one thing because you did give a powerhouse performance. But in such a short space of time without, you know, a whole weeks and weeks worth of, of filming before that to develop that character, how do you get into that mindset to beat the shit out of this good-looking guy? basically, who we've all seen him in his underwear by then. Yeah, it was all on the page. You know, every single word, every single interruption, every single uh, uh, epithet and, and curse was just Paul Thomas Anderson had written that. And you just have to think about a woman who watches the dumb, bunny, hyper-sexualized son mm -hmm. go out into the world and have anything he wants. And her life is shriveling up and drying up and, you know, she's got nothing. And that resentment, and it could only yeah. be an unloving you know, kind of brittle, terrible. I couldn't play her and ask for any pity from the audience because that was not the task. No. She's just, she's just monstrously unhappy. But she, but you can't, I can't, you can't play your unhappiness. You have to play your rage, your rage that your nothing numbskull, you know, son with his endowments is just um, going out there into the world and doing everything she can no longer, or if ever. And and the father, when you're having that scene in the bedroom, I saw, he's smiling, isn't he? He is smiling to himself. And I want to know what's going on in his mind because I, I it's been a while since I've seen the whole film, but I, I sort of watched back on your scenes. and um, There was a scene cut. We shot a scene that was cut where we had been in a car accident. I think it's maybe uh, it's, but it's just me over the steering wheel, bloody and him dead in the next seat it was just, but they cut i think they cut it visually from the movie but um oh wow yeah, see what yeah. i love is a director and i i was quite young when i first saw that um and i was i think i was 12 and i said yeah. to mom and dad that i need to watch this movie for drama class at school <laughs> they had yeah. no idea uh and i just wanted to see it because i knew like at the time i was studying films and, and trying to be a filmmaker which leads me to my next question for you. I had another one about Rosalind Russell. I'll, I'll go back to that. But um, I believe you recently shot a short film. I did. So have we got any plans to expand and possibly go into feature films directing? Yes, I, do. I actually yes. do. Um, oh, I, awesome. I've written 
I've written a, a feature film and right now uh, there's, it's generating quite a lot of um, excitement and, and even better among the people who might help me finance it. So I yeah. will, will direct a feature, but, but directing the short, writing and directing the short, which we shot in two and a half days mm-hmm. was, uh, I, I never for one second in these days were, you know, 20 hours long. I never for one second was tired. And the thing is, I knew the actors and there was a comfort on the set and the days were long. And I don't know, I was one of the great high points of my professional life was doing that. So I look forward to the complete exhaustion and how do I get out of this and what have I done? And I don't know what I'm doing. I look forward to all of that mm-hmm. uh, on, a, on a feature scale. Wow. So um, obviously at the moment you've, you've got your script, uh, you've got your, or you're looking into financing and all that. So are you going independent route or are you sort of trying to... No, I think it's an independent feature, but I think it will feel bigger. It's going to feel bigger, but it will be, yeah. have the kind of indie, you know. Oh, look, we've, we've all got film cameras in our pockets these days, so we can all make, yeah. Is, is there such thing as independent cinema anymore? I don't know. It's a really good question. I mean, what's... It's all Apple. It's all expensive equipment. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, it's expensive. And, and I shot my short, uh, I did it as a union shoot because I'm a union yeah. girl. And so it's more expensive, but that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, finding money. It, it, there's there there's money for such mediocrity <laughs> because believe me, I've been checking it out. I thought mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. got the money. Yeah. So so you know you just have to figure out where you're, where the lane is and who the people are. Who... I didn't know I was going to get the segue here. So I, I'm going to try to not give any of my my opinions about the, the answer to the question because I do have strong opinions as a as a performer. You are, I think, absolutely, without a doubt, part of one of the, the most amazing pro shots in Broadway history. And, I, and I, I mean that both as a compliment to you as a performer, but also that it's one of the best. It feels like you're in the theater as much as you could be. You are, you are as an audience member, it felt like theater and not like, oh, this is a filmed thing. It, it, it was again that and and watching George Hearn and Angela Lansbury and in Sweeney I I felt like I want to be in those rooms I want to see that thing my question to you is having been a part of one of those the most celebrated pro shots what are your thoughts on bootlegs versus pro shots and 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 what those two things cost both the the acting community and the creative artists who are parts of them but also to to the fandom like do you think your career was changed in different ways by having been a part of of that pro shot and not just the incredible things you had done in your time in the show no 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 i, I think because pbs filmed it and because it lived uh, you know in great master generations were able to see that and high schools yeah. were able to sit as a training tool or this is the show we're going to do no yeah, without question. My mom teaches it every year. Yeah, I, I saw Wolf Dick at eight years old or nine years old or something. It was my, my first experience with that penis because mm-hmm. our acting teacher decided to point it out. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Didn't need pointing out. It did that all by itself. No, itself. it didn't, but she did. Yeah, but she did. Uh, but in terms of legs, you're, not, you're never going to stop it. No, I mean, but I know that, that F feels strongly about it as well. So, yeah. Well, I guess, I guess. Because my, my question is, mm-hmm. I I sometimes have been a parts of, sh- of of shows that I wish could have gotten a pro shot. Yeah, that we've done them the Lincoln Center archiving for so many of them, and I just as someone who is is you know you said you're a union girl that the idea of those things being supported as far as the archiving of it because I know how important it is and I yeah. I I don't know 
I don't know if I would have ever seen Into the Woods. I still have never, I've seen one production of it in my entire life. And it was when it was in the park. But I feel like I got to see it by seeing the pro shot. And I don't think that would exist the same way for me with a book. No, but it's always, once again, it's about money. Is there money to film it correctly? Is there money to, yeah. you know, and these things, these things, I, I, I don't know. I would, I would love there to be a, a, a library of everything that's ever played on Broadway. Yeah. You know, straight play and off Broadway. You know even I mean? Urban Cowboy? Yeah. Even Urban Cowboy. Then. Really? Oh, it would be Urban. the first, I think. <laughs> See, the, the butt of my jokes, yeah. I was in a very famous flop. I was in a very colossal flop. I was in a mushroom cloud that hovered over Broadway Nora, for yeah. a good long time, Nick and Nora. But that is, right. that is where I met Chris Sarandon, who's in the next room, waving at me that I haven't eaten in five hours and I'm going to pass out. So. Oh, I, I deeply apologize. Well, that's okay. This is so much fun. I, do, I want to keep going, um, but I, look, he's going, you haven't eaten Soon. You should get to your den. I'm so incredibly lucky to to have you. For, you know, by for the way, Chris Rand, my husband now of almost 30 yep. years, Prince Humperdinck in uh, the, the Princess, Princess Bride, and, and Jack Skellington. Skellington, the voice of Jack Skellington in, in yes. Night Before Christmas, and uh, good Lord, oh, well, Dog Day Afternoon, um, uh, Ooh, Oscar God, nomination. So good. Dog Day Afternoon, yes, indeed. Now yes. I'm, I'm feeling even more inadequate than I was at the beginning of this interview. Goodness gracious, man. How many decades career has he had? Let's see now. Well, no. I hope when we meet again sometime, you'll say now in her ninth decade in the theatre. Yes. Yes. And it will still have started in the 70s. It won't have started any anywhere before that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, as I say, I clarified it. I don't need to justify it anymore. And everyone's just ganging up on me. But anyways, no, it has been an absolute honor. Thank you so much for joining us. And, oh, and you're welcome anytime. I have no idea what to expect, except from your, your, your emails. And I thought, well, this is going to be fun. This yes. Be well, fun. I hope it was. And again, I'm sorry that, that Gareth wasn't able to join us. He's usually the, um, the butt of all my jokes. Like I usually just poke fun at him the whole time and, and he just laughs about it so uh, it's a different vibe this time but that's all right I, I know that if Michael when, when he found out that I had booked you I did my best he was <laughs> impressed and I thought if I'm impressing this guy with one of my guests then yeah no he's he's definitely my I mean, first the thing was I, I had down to get my second vaccine today which I did <laughs> um yes. and uh I was like I might be I might have the chills and going through all sorts of things but to get to talk yes. to to get to talk to a, an actor that I have I've respected my entire career and I I know I know you talked about those goals that people have of like aiming to those things but I very seriously say watching watching your performance in that into the woods pro shot I went that's the kind of acting that I want to do for the rest for the rest of my life and and I still continue to say that and I will point to young young actors who have only seen only seen bootlegs and things I go seek this out because this this is what Broadway should be and should always be is is where the acting is king and the text is king and yeah mm -hmm. so yeah. pleasured beyond belief that I got to be a part of this but continued success with your very shiny uh, career on the this is only but a pause until everything mm -hmm. And Aaron, you're a champ for having this show. I think the idea of it, the conceit of it, and what we got to talk about tonight was probably nothing anybody anticipated. No, you know, and it really kind of went all kinds of places. I love to be so. Thank you for that. Yeah, also, no, no, thank you. I'm again truly honored. I'm, I'm just some kid from Australia. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
take acting classes and you'll see you'll have yes. stories you have stories to tell. yeah no I, I bet look i do my own adr so i can play myself really really well <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. characters who knows but yes so anyways a, an open invitation to you and chris for any time you want to join us so thank you so much thank anyways, you it was nice to meet you thank Bye you very all. much Alrighty, that's it from us, and oh my god, what a fantastic episode that was. Don't mind saying so myself. Now, I want to say a huge thank you so much to F. Michael Haney for the generosity of your time, not only for your episode, but to come back into the past to do this episode. I'm sure the time travelling takes its toll on Broadway performers, so anyways. And also a huge, huge thank you to Joanna Gleason for joining us and bringing the spirit and the laughs and the callback humor and completely shit-stirring me that whole episode, which was an absolute delight. It really was an honor. I hope that the excitement of doing these episodes never goes away because it's just too good. So on that note, you can find F on Twitter at F Michael Haney, and I'll have the rest of his details in a couple of weeks for that episode. I cannot remember them right now. And you can find Joanna Gleason on Twitter at the real J Gleason. That's one word and no underscores. You can find us at Thrush and Treasure. Check out the Tonistontales.com and buy me books and read them. They may be good, I don't know. Next week, Gareth will be back and we're going to be joined by an Australian performer who inspired me to get into acting and performing. How is that? Two episodes in a row. That was completely accidental. And we'll be joined by Jeremy Stanford, and we'll be discussing the 2006, I think it was, Broadway revival of Sweet Charity, juxtaposed against a Rush album. Check our Twitter for what that is. I cannot remember it right now. It was weeks ago we recorded it. It's also 5.30 in the morning now. I'm going to post this. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and we will see you next time. Hooroo! <laughs>